This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sunday, September 24, 2023. I'm Anthony Davis. Welcome to The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can support my work and independent journalism at patreon.com slash 5-Minute News. Our guest today is a cybersecurity expert and army veteran who served as the lead threat analyst and incident responder on the Biden-Harris campaign in 2020. Jackie Singh, welcome back to The Weekend Show. Thank you so much. Uh, hello again, Anthony. Uh, and a big hello to everyone watching. It's great to be here again, and I'm so excited to dive back in with you. Uh, we've got lots to talk about. I want to look at uh, the kind of uh, have a big picture conversation about the state of the world. This is after the UN Secretary General basically ticked off all of the world leaders and said they weren't doing enough. So we'll, we'll look at that. Uh, I want to look at Project 2025, this manifesto for the next conservative president. Um, But first, let's look at free speech and Donald Trump. This is after a gag order has been announced, a request by prosecutors that a judge impose a gag order on the disgraced former president in the federal election subversion case. It presents a thorny conflict between the scope of his First Amendment rights and fears that he could, intentionally or not, spur his supporters to violence. Now, Trump is... He's not frightened of a gag order. He's not frightened of Jack Smith, or well, maybe he is. I don't know, but he gives the impression by these horrific messages that he puts on Truth Social, calling him the worst names. He really is, like, abusing the judge. He's abusing the special prosecutor and intimidating witnesses, potentially. Do you think it's the right thing to do to, to silence Donald Trump in the, in the run-up to this, this case? Well, conversely, I would ask, um, is it free speech to use one's position and power to make incendiary statements targeting individual citizens doing their jobs or exercising their own speech? I mean, what kind of world are we in where a former president can make statements about citizens doing their jobs, um, highly negative, inflammatory, incendiary statements? I mean, he he, he called Fannie Willis um, a young racist, which really stuck in my head for a long time because it was such um, an interesting uh, phrasing. You know, he has no limits to what he'll say about people that he perceives to be political enemies. And I don't think that we have ever really seen that in political um, in the political world of the United States and in, in, in politics. It's um, unprecedented as much as we've already used that word unprecedented. And because we live in this era of mass communications and we have greater access to technology than ever before, we're we're not just starting to see. I think it's already well established that many different types of actors now have access to technology tools that enable them to 
conduct abuse and harassment at scale in a way that was simply impossible 20 or 30 years ago. And those capabilities, um, the tactics and techniques that are used to harass and abuse political enemies online are being disseminated at a rapid clip and really rolling around the far right and emerging through President Trump. You know, this is really uh, concerning for me. Because he, he's like a vessel, isn't he, for for the far right to operate? You know, they, they've they've used him as as their mark. But I sometimes feel like he doesn't really know that he he's being used in this way. He's like not really smart enough because people compliment him and he likes that. And so then he just kind of takes them on in the same way that he kind of welcomed the the Proud Boys and the Earth the Oath Keepers and referred to fine people on both sides. It's like to him anyone is is fair game. But we've never had this issue before where the the president or a senior politician or a leader rubbishes the systems that we have in place to keep our nation safe, i.e. the judiciary, security services the FBI, like, you know, he is wanting to take down these institutions. And that is, in my mind, what is more dangerous than him, say, abusing Jack Smith online. I agree. His uh, disregard for his disregard for the institutions that make America, America, and have made America, America, that support citizens and that do the work that we need to maintain a functional country, right? So that when we wake up in the morning, we can drive on a road that has been made safe for us and we can cross a bridge that has been made safe for us, right? Just using a very basic example of the fundamental um, realities involved with managing a government and managing a country. Yeah. And And drink the water and breathe the air because, you know, he gutted the EPA. So it's like he doesn't care for the environment or the protections that it offers. So, yeah, he, he is running roughshod over the entire kind of backbone of, of the nation. I think that's what happens when you hire a reality TV star to be your president. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, you're working with someone who, um, through his established disregard for the, for the political system and in calling himself an outsider, um, he seeks to use that outsider status to dismantle political enemies while referring to them as enemies of the common American. And I think the disconnect between the common American and their government is such that there is a lack of understanding as to how we are the most powerful nation on earth. And the reality that our government is the key component that underpins all of that, and that uh, maintains the standard of living that Americans have grown so um, accustomed to and, and coddled with, frankly. So, um, you know, I don't think that this gag order would prevent him from um, saying that he isn't guilty. What it would prevent him from doing is making uh, statements that um, result in a potential for increased stochastic terrorism. Right. In the past, we had we had what we called the lone wolf. Right. When we think about, say, the Oklahoma City bombing, which many Americans are are still um, very uh, familiar with and and, uh, remember very profoundly. When I think about the Oklahoma City bombing, I remember a photograph of of a child being held by um, by a fireman who was evacuating her. And so these these incidents uh, really lodge themselves in the public consciousness as the work of a lone wolf, 
Um, you know, a person who is so, you know, disaffected from society that he simply disagrees with everything that he sees and believes that the only way to bring about this new order is to dismantle and disrupt and, and, and blow up, right? Explode in a violent manner, everything which has existed before. And I think we're seeing the same kind of politics with Donald Trump and the GOP of today. They're looking to dismantle everything which has existed before in order to bring about a new reality. And that reality takes us down a path that doesn't align with anything we've ever done before. But the problem is that they do have a point, right? And this is what their supporters will pick up on. The, you know, the system does need uh, a reboot. The criminal justice system has, you know, been very problematic for a lot of people, interestingly, mostly minority groups, and, and that really isn't who is, you know, we're, we're talking about here. But the, a lot of the systems from taxation through criminal justice and, and, you know, the kind of police brutality, a lot of these things that we know need reform do need reform, and... The, the left isn't really talking about a kind of, you know, a total reform of, the, of these um, pillars of, of society. But Donald Trump is by, you know, getting rid of them and maybe wanting to rebuild them in his name. And unfortunately, that's the problem, isn't it? That, that it's not like the systems are perfect and people will see that he wants to rubbish them and they will support that and they will agree with that. You know, people don't like the taxation. They don't like the policing. They, they don't like the kind of big brother aspect, which is why conservatives advocate for small government. I think I think you have a point that Democrats need to do a much better job of presenting their vision for America. Right. We're building back better. But what comes next? What happens after we build back better? What does the what does the next iteration of America look like? We're at that crossroads today. We're all as a country uh, in this upheaval because we're at a critical inflection point that requires us to reaffirm our values and state what it is that we are here for. What kind of country are we? Are we going to continue the democratic experiment or will we become a shithole country, as uh, Trump uh, called them? You know, when you think about, um, you know, where Trump has taken this country, I really urge Americans to think about whether that is the path that we should be on. And most of the people watching this program, I think at this point, have come to the realization that that isn't the path that we want to be on. But there has to be more. We have to discuss more. We have to be more um, clear about these values. We have to continue to promote them instead of having it be an osmosis. You know, when I was a child in elementary school in the United States, I had a lot of Americanisms kind of imposed onto me that didn't necessarily feel like they were being integrated into who I was, right? I, I didn't want to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I was so frustrated by the Pledge of Allegiance. I had to stand up there and say, you know, I'm not a religious person. I had to say under God. And um, I, I refused. And it caused a stir in the classroom. The teacher didn't like it. But ultimately, I felt that what I received from the reality that I didn't have to stand up and say anything and that I could advocate for myself was that America was a place where you could be who you wanted to be and you could 
embrace your own values and, and, and kind of decide what kind of an individual you wanted to be. And that didn't necessarily separate you from your, from your community. It didn't cause me to have to be separated from the classroom. I simply sat down. Um, so I think we need to think a little bit more about what it means to um, be a citizen, what you know, civic service really means to push uh, voting and the conversation about civil service overall with Gen Z because we're losing the plot of what it means to be an American. And that fabric that unites us, that we were always told existed and united us, is now fraying at the ends. We have to do the work to sew that back together. And that's something that every citizen has to do. Every citizen has to pick up a thread and say, I'm going to join in. I'm going to be Betsy Ross and sew this American flag into the next iteration of America because I'm here and I'm part of this and I want it to continue. And what we're seeing with the GOP is a complete and total rupture from that American project, from all of those values that that we had all um, received by osmosis and had lived with for, uh, you know, the the uh, last uh, 50 to 100 years. And I, look, I don't think any of these upheavals that they plan are positive. I don't think it's positive to stand up um, on, a, on a social media platform as the top leader, right, having been a top leader of a country and and make nasty statements about individual citizens. I mean, that really degrades well, it's where civility, the civility, you cross the line of civility. It's and gone. in order for the U.S. to remain a civilized country, and it's already struggling because it's the only country that has mass shootings and school shootings and these types of things, you know, on this level. So it is already an uncivilized country, and it's getting close to being a shithole country, as Donald Trump would describe, because it doesn't offer healthcare for all and it, you know it has a kind of multi-tiered system that if you're not kind of white and wealthy that you will suffer i just yes. want to pick up on what you were saying about the, the the fabric of the nation now i've been thinking about what this means because i use fabric as a descriptor often and i actually have realized that the fabric that is often abused is the flag the flag is fabric and whereas before if someone hung a U.S. Stars and Stripes flag outside the front of their apartment or their house or whatever, they would be considered patriotic and just celebrating the country. And now that flag has been co-opted by the right and the far right and the and the MAGA Republican movement. And it's almost got, it's, all, it's almost become like a Confederate flag in a way. You know, it, it speaks differently to how it did before. And this is very dangerous, isn't it? And in, in, in certain states, certainly in, in, you know, Dem states, to see a flag outside the house, now people are like, ah, Trump supporter lives there. It's not sad. I mean, that's not right, is it? It's not right. It's not right. Uh, it, it's uh, incredibly uh, distressing to me as a military veteran who carried the U.S. flag as a patch on her uniform along with everyone else that she served with. So that was our, our, our unifying symbol, our foundational symbology for what we were doing. It, um, it represents so much and, um, certainly represents, you know, the promise of America for my immigrant parents when they came from India and the Dominican Republic to the United States, you know, but I, I feel like that, that promise no longer exists. And you're right, that, that co-optation of a symbol that I love, that I, that um, I see as the bulwark against authoritarianism, against um, fascism, against the 
the um, kind of closed off uh, bubble of what the GOP believes a person should be or what an American should be. You know, I think these are very contrasting, uh, very contrasting ideas and distressingly contrasting. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't really know what they're about. You're right that if someone has an American flag now and they're really proud about displaying it, you have to ask yourself what it is that that means. What are they representing? What are they saying about themselves? And because we no longer know what that is, we are under risk. It's, it's very sad, especially for me as an immigrant, you know, choosing to move here and wanting to bring my children up here. And I have it with my kids now, you know, they're having to say the, the, the Pledge of Allegiance in, their, in school, in public school. And, you know, again, you know, we're not religious either. So, you know, it's, it's st- I'm starting to have conversations with young children about mm. allegiances. And I think that that is, you know, it's already a very um, tribal country that what you're effectively doing with kids is you're trying to instill a sense of tribalism with them at a very young age. And, you know, the U.S. does that differently to how Europe does that. Uh, and, and it is very interesting. Let's go back to, to Trump and, and this gag order. Just finally, would you say that if a gag order is Im- imposed, that he would even know how to adhere to it? Because... Normally, if a gag order is is put in and that person disobeys the gag order, then they'll get put in jail until their trial. That's not going to happen to this guy. I mean, we've already seen time and time again that he, as much as Tanya Chutkin's like, I'm going to treat him like I'd treat anybody else. She hasn't. The justice system hasn't. He is being given special treatment. And I fear that if a gag order is put about, that he is going to... He'll probably stick to it for two weeks at the very most, and then he'll, he just can't help himself. I mean, he knows he's above the law, and he kind of is. He kind of is. He kind of is. I mean, when you think about an equivalent, um, you could think about someone like Elon Musk. Elon Musk operates in a world where he can do and say anything he wants. He can wake up and simply uh, choose to disregard the advice of his legal team and proceed in a way that allows him to um, allows him to give um, like power to the a human being's most base instincts. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he's really uh, kind of treading these pathways again and again, right? He, lashes out at people again and again and he isn't stopped and nothing happens and there's no consequence so it's uh i think we're going to see this more and more i think we're going to see this personality type the archetype of donald trump uh be passed down to many other types of men who are going to seek to emulate this kind of i do anything i want i'm the king of the world and People are so afraid about what would happen if they stopped me and there isn't anyone big enough to stop me at this point that I am an unstoppable force. And that's what he's relying on, right? He's relying on this sense that he is an unstoppable force to allow him to continue to engage in campaigning while he's facing many legal battles throughout the United States. Um, His threats and the big bombastic statements that he makes on, you know, a a side platform because he can't be on Twitter, 
which is the main platform for political uh, discussion and analysis in social media world. And so he has to be on Truth Social, where he has a smaller audience, which leads him to have to be bigger and bigger with his statements in order to get them to go viral and move them around. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think there's a... Um, there's a there's a concerted uh, there's a concerted PR strategy that has been in place with uh, Trump for a long time. I think they know that there is no danger of long lasting consequences due to the shortness of the news cycle and the shortness of the attention span of the average American who's just trying to buy groceries and yeah. pay their rent and think about buying a house and try, you know, try to think about having some kids or raise their kids or pay for childcare, whatever they got to do. Right. I'm frustrated. Every American is frustrated. <laughs> who's my age right now because millennials are having a hard time, but I do, you know, caution that if millennials think, you know, it's all bad. Now we're having a hard time. Now the, madness and the chaos that would be unleashed in a second Trump presidency would be unmatched at any, you know, by any other point in American history. And I think that none of us want to live through that. It's really a terrifying prospect. Mm. Anthony. And the, the timing, because I want to talk about climate change in just a minute, because, you know, I am forward planning for mass climate migration yes. and mass extreme weather events, which are snowballing as it as it's even as as we speak and Donald Trump and his cronies and a future Trump presidency has no interest in that you know they're blaming the planet doing its own thing and we're nothing to do with that that's the kind of ego you know the thinking that that, yes. that man can't have caused any of these problems and and people have no idea you know there's some issues going on at the moment at the southern border an increase in in, in crossings People have no idea what's coming in terms of mass climate migration, where people will not be able to stay in their native land because it's too hot, it, where systems fail. Infrastructure, you know, I mean, look at, look at uh, uh, Hawaii recently. You know, the, the, the infrastructure for a lot of these places, especially shithole countries that have not invested, and we've seen that recently in, in Turkey, where you basically cannot rely on the government to invest enough and keep up with a changing climate. So that all infrastructure, water distribution through pipes and, you know, sewage and tunnels and all of this stuff, none of it was built to withstand what is coming in terms of extreme heat and exactly. extreme weather. And that, and that is going to be a much bigger threat than the the rise of fascism or the far right because it's nature and as you know if you're swimming in the sea and a big waves comes you don't stand a chance we've seen that in southeast asia with tsunamis where we see pictures of humans being reduced to to tadpoles with the power of the of, of the of mother nature and and so that's my biggest fear is that we're looking in the wrong direction you know trump is a is is distracting and it's entertaining and it's frustrating and it's all of these things. But we've got much bigger problems on this planet. Well, and, don't look up. Don't look up. Exactly. Okay, listen, we have to take a quick pause for our sponsor, but we'll come back and talk more with Jackie Singh in just a moment here on The Weekend Show. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets. 
Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding, so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get a better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable, without the high price tag of other luxury brands, and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash weekend to try Miracle-made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo code WEEKEND at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash weekend and use the code weekend to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. That's trymiracle.com slash weekend to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. Fall is planting season. It's true, many plants actually do better when planted at this time of year, but you have to know where to start. That's why I love fastgrowingtrees.com. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate, location, and needs. I ordered the most beautiful lemon tree, which is absolutely thriving on my balcony. You don't have to drive around to nurseries and big gardening centers. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. Whether you're looking to add some privacy, shade, or natural beauty to your yard, Fast Growing Trees has in-house experts ready to help you make the right selection with growing and care advice available 24-7. And like I said, my lemon tree at the moment is growing in such a way that I, I never thought I would have the ability to nurture a plant myself. So with the help and advice of FastGrowingTrees.com, I am very proud of my new baby. And I now only do my plant shopping at Fast Growing Trees. You should too. Even if you've never had a green thumb, they'll make you feel like you do. Over 1 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers are across the country, and plus, with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. Now, listeners to this show will get 15% off your entire order when you go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash weekend, but only through October 15th. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash weekend. That's fastgrowingtrees.com slash weekend. We're back with Jackie Singh here on The Weekend Show. Uh, humanity has opened the gates to hell. By allowing the climate crisis to worsen, this is the Secretary General of the United Nations warned at a climate summit of leaders that saw angry denunciations of the fossil fuel industry and was undercut by the absence of many of the biggest carbon-emitting countries, including the United States.
I've been thinking about how other leaders around the world are thinking about this moment in history. And I'm just going to quote a, f a few, Jackie. The president of Switzerland said, we're going through a crisis, possibly the most significant one since the end of the Second World War. Uh, the president of Slovenia said, we no longer trust any narratives. The um, president of El Salvador said, we believe that the world needs to be reborn. Um, the, the, the Panamanian president said, time is running out for all of us. And, and it begs the question, is the world governable? You know, have we got to a point now where there is so much um, denial as well as extremist thinking because we're seeing far-right candidates being voted in in countries all around the world? Are, are we at a point now where a United Nations is going to be an impossible construct going forward to, ha to, have, to find consensus in enough countries to make a difference? I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, some of the countries that you named um, like their outsider status and their contrarian status. And I think there have always been um, a small number of countries who um, have been belligerents uh, in the UN when there are discussions like this. And similar to Trump, I think they use these opportunities to go viral. <laughs> We're talking about really small countries who don't often have an opportunity to um, be recognized on the world stage. So it is their opportunity to make a statement and to reaffirm allyships and to. Um, but they are, they are going to, they are going to reap the disadvantages of climate change that they have not caused. And this is why we're talking now about reparations for small mm. countries. You know, mm. they, they don't have the type of fossil fuel pollution that we have in the U.S. or that China has, and yet they are going to see the worst of the weather. And, and, and that is a problem, isn't it? No wonder they're angry. Yes, I think uh, the, the conversation about com climate change really needs to focus specifically on the uh, greatest producers of carbon. I think there has been a lot of promulgation to the average citizen that they can somehow make a change. You know, if I just recycle, if I, if I just make sure that I put this glass bottle in this container instead of that container, then I can have some sort of an effect. But the reality is that you know, largely corporations and governments, right, in their policy decision-making are the ones who have the ability to make a change there. So yeah. when the secretary general of the UN is reacting, I think what he's saying is we know what to do and we know which direction to go in. But we all need to be operating from the same level of reality, the same plane of reality in order for us to even start thinking about how to work together. I think that reality has been ruptured in many ways by different interests who have a lot of money and who pour that money into shifting the American public's beliefs about certain things. For example, uh, ESG. Many citizens have heard, um, you know, someone like Elon Musk or maybe some other big um, business leader complain about ESG. ESG is environmental and social governance, right? We're talking about companies making decisions about where to put their money based on the risks associated with climate change, the risk that they won't be able to make money in the future, the risk that they'll lose a lot of money in the future, right? That's what companies care about in a capitalistic society is money. That's their bottom line. So when you have um, you know, influence campaigns, entire influence campaigns that are intended to influence the average citizen into believing that ESG programs, which are just like 
a, a few people inside a company helping the company make decisions about how to spend their money a little bit more wisely, um, not ideologically, but literally based on what is going to make them more money and reduce their risk. I think you're seeing a symptom of the larger problem that these interests that are very powerful and moneyed produce news and information and content that is designed to shift our beliefs about things. And realistically, we aren't all experts on everything. We're lucky if we're an expert on one thing. We are working to live, right? To have a, a home and a family and a pet maybe, or you know, whatever it is that makes you happy and feel good. That's the promise of America is the, the, the pursuit of happiness is what we've all been told that we're but here that, for. But that is incompatible with the problem that the world faces, isn't it? That, that, it is. The, you know, the idea of collective responsibility, because, you know, the recycling is fine. You know, we can all do that, and, and hopefully we all do do that. But they only actually recycle it if the recycling, which is a volatile commodity, is, is high value that time. And a lot of the time, the, the city just goes and buries it in landfill anyway. You know, we need to trust that everybody in the chain is doing their bit. And, and my fear is that there's just not enough pushback because energy companies can make just as much money from green energy and this, this whole movement. And I've talked on the show before about, you know, the, the, the Defense Production Act and how it would be great if Biden got up and said, OK, the whole country, we're going to plaster with solar panels and wind turbines and we're all going to build it. And we're going to down tools with other things, making crap we don't need. And we are going to turn this country into a into a carbon neutral country, which is totally possible. Elon Musk has said that it's possible and he owns Solar City, amongst other things. Um, Biden did announce something a few days ago. He, he's calling it Climate Core. It's uh, a new uh, initiative to get people good green jobs and to try and um, motivate industry to kind of just focus on 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 the green future for the for the UK without calling it the Green New Deal, because of course those are kind of dirty words in politics, <laughs> right? Um, and you can sign up for it on the White House website, and you know it's it's becoming a thing. But again, this is just getting the people and the public to do all the heavy lifting, when really the heavy lifting should be being done by industry. And corporations, that's where the big pollution is happening. I agree. I think we need to uh, right-size our government so that we actually have power back in, in our federal government that can um, speak to these interests. When we think about the biggest stories in America every day, there are stories of corruption. You know, you, you started the call today, our conversation about uh, a Democratic senator who is caught engaging in corruption. That's right. You're this right. is Robert Menendez, who's a, yes. a Democrat from New Jersey, and he and his wife have been charged with bribery offenses in connection with accepting gold bars and cash and a Mercedes in exchange for protecting three businessmen and influencing the government of Egypt. This guy is a Democrat. And, and so, yeah, corruption is happening at, at everywhere. And you know, it's, un, it's unmistakable. Corruption is the biggest story in America every day now, and that is what is unrecognized by Americans. And I think if we follow the uh, grand vision for the next Trump presidency or any kind of a GOP presidency, we're looking at, um, or, you know, we don't want to we don't want to spend any more money. 
We don't want to protect citizens. We aren't going to change what the police does. We are going to continue um, being belligerent with China. We are, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of a long list of concerns of concerning situations for American people. And I just don't understand how they can promote this policy platform um, without racism. It doesn't work without the racism. Right. The racism and, and the kind of the hatred towards minorities is the glue that makes it all work and, and kind of hand waves over. Right. Papers over everything that they actually want to do and what their vision is for America. Right. And instead of promoting that, they have Donald Trump shouting on Truth Social. It's just random stuff every day. It's hammering the news cycle, flooding the zone with crap and, you know, recycle. Right. So <laughs> yeah. we're, we're told to recycle. Um, we, we we're, we're um, just kind of in this situation where none of us really know what to do other than it, voting. Yeah, it's 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 a very um, it's a very weird time to be alive because there doesn't seem to be much in the way of um, a lane. You know, that phrase, stay in your lane. You know, I, I, I think that people this is why it's become popular to look at Insta reels, you know, where you just look at other people doing silly things or cats dancing and stuff. You know, people need the escapism of looking at other people's lives through their phones because everyone is so busy working, trying to hold down multiple jobs to pay their way because, as we know, inflation and the cost of living continues to rise and wages do not meet that. And so, and in fact, I think we crossed the threshold very recently where the average wage in the US does not even come close to giving people the opportunity to pay for their lifestyle, just a normal kind of basic family lifestyle. So there, there is not parity any, anymore. And that's going to become more difficult going forward. So people don't really know what to do. And I feel like this separation of, you know, I, I love the fact that Joe Biden's come up with this climate core. I think it's, it's very clever. And it's great branding, you know, and it's, uh, I guess, a little bit like, Space Force, you know, it's like a it's like a thing that sounds great and can have a nice logo and everything else. But in terms of feeling motivated, I have actually spoken to so many people and they're like, well, I don't even know what to do. Like, what am I supposed to do? And it would be really nice to be told, you know, to have like a climate um, press conference every month or every couple of weeks from the president and say, do this, do that. Don't run the water when you brush your teeth, you know, like little things that we can all do debunking some of the um the messaging about electric vehicles for example you know there's so much propaganda from the right about that type of stuff and so we're just stuck in kind of information warfare and it's actually preventing us from doing anything that the secretary general of the un would would like us collectively to do yes well when you have um someone like elon musk who is managing the public square you know, the town square that we use to have these political discussions and to drive policy discussions and to get a sense of what it is that um, citizens care about, right? The more politically active citizens care about, uh, you're finding yourself in a situation where the fog of war is so thick, intentionally made thick, that citizens don't have what they need in front of them to make really good decisions. And part of yeah. that is engagement with other people in your community. So you mentioned, you know, short form videos as kind of an opiate of the masses. I think, I think there's something else there. I think that apps like TikTok allow people into each other's lives in a way that isn't happening anymore. 
think that there have been so many divisions politically that people are afraid to engage with each other. And so what I think happens with TikTok is you're, you're thrown into an ethnography. You're thrown into other people's lives. How do they live? What do they do when they go uh, to the kitchen and they open their fridge? What's there? Is it similar to the stuff that I like is, you know, in the past, we would all be in a room talking about these things. We would go to church or we, you know, we would um, have, have community meetings. We would uh, see each other at the park. I think there's been a, a, a condition of American life that has slowly crept into our, our culture that we are not only individualistic, but we are separate. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, success of apps like TikTok ultimately speaks to that separation because people are social creatures. We're human beings. We want to be with each other. We want, we're like ants. We want to work with each other. So we're looking for things that we might have in common. We're kind of hoping that what they have in their fridge is what we have in our fridge. You know, that this idea that we might be connected in some way because we're not doing it in real life. So that, that kind of, Human needs to be with other humans has now shifted online. And, and, and this is especially post-pandemic where we are now all in tune yes. with the idea of being remote. But we're not giving it the respect it deserves. We're not, um, we're not forcing companies to treat these platforms in a way that prevents the type of harassment that Donald Trump is driving to individual citizens, for yeah. example. Right. Because Trump making statements leads to other actions and those other actions are being taken against people who don't share the same politics. Um, you know, again, we're in this new world of very easy to disseminate mass communications. Right. We can disseminate messages at scale. And the more money you have and the more resources you have, the more time you can spend on strategizing on how best to produce these messages, how to get them out there, how to, um, you know, move them around the media. And, so, you know, it's, it's a totally different world that we're in because human beings are now being presented with information they simply can't trust on a regular basis. And it's causing individual citizens to tune out of the work of democracy. And I M think meanwhile, that the climate crisis is not going to wait for us. You know, it's, no, it's, it's it already on. happening. It marches and, on. And, and that's the problem, isn't it? That that whilst we might be taking too long to get our messaging together, the the nature is moving at an absolute like crazy pace. And then in what fact, he said, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, he, what he on. said, and I, I was I was like really uh, tuned into this in his speech. He said the world is on thin ice, which is melting fast. Yeah. He said that concentrations of carbon dioxide are at their highest. In at least two million years, he said he described the climate situation as a time bomb that is ticking. And he, um, you know, essentially said, we all have to work together or we won't be here for much longer. And he, he criticized the wealthy countries specifically and the fossil fuel industry. He said for their ponderous response to the climate crisis. And anybody who thinks that it's two decades away is blind. I mean, you know, the the. The extreme weather and the extreme heat and the in, the insanity of of the of the patterns, you know, the loss of the seasons and how places that you would typically go to for a certain type of climate can't offer you that anymore. It, it, it's it's completely different. The world is is completely different. And when you throw 
tornadoes into the mix and tropical storms as we had here in California recently and and then earthquakes which are not connected to climate change but are not you know they they don't help the displacement of people and as i say migration due to climate is going to be on a scale that you know uh, republicans who don't like the handful of migrants that cross the southern border they're going to have to seriously rethink their generosity because the us is going to be is going to have to be much more generous with with people who need to need to relocate I think that the uh, wall was a stupid idea. It was never going to work. Um, at this point, we have a uh, a surveillance border. Yes, that's the wall that we have at our border. Um, that isn't going to stop anyone either. You know, I think we're in a situation where many Americans are concerned that if we let in more refugees or immigrants from other countries, that there somehow will be less resources for all of us. I think when we look at what's happening with climate, you know, that is a very finite pot. You know, when it comes to land in America and resources in America, we're still doing well. But the climate shifts that are coming will destroy all of our resources. You know, it really isn't going to um, redistribute anything in a way that is equitable. And there will be there will be no safety from this. You know, so the the IPCC guide that was released uh, recently is essentially a how to guide for defusing that climate time bomb that we discussed. And so it's. In, you know, it's, it's really important for citizens to just shout at their government constantly and say, what are you doing about this? Are you moving this forward? And to turn away entirely from politicians who don't care about your family, who don't care about your children, and who would see your family burn in a sea of fire um, to enrich themselves, right? It's a lot of short-term thinking that we're seeing with leaders around the world. And it's up to but us. But that's as an entire political movement that. in the U.S. I mean, that, that is effectively half of politicians and potentially, you know, maybe a third of voters. It certainly could be 50, 60, 70 million people who have been brainwashed into thinking that the climate crisis is a Democrat hoax that is nothing to do with the, the, the planet and nothing, certainly nothing to do with the human effect on the planet. They just think, oh, well, it's the seasons or it's, you know, it happened before, it'll happen again. You know, there's so many excuses. <laughs> and yet this blindness yes. to, you know, and even when their own homes are flooded, they're still saying, well, this is nothing to do with us. And that's the bit that I, I don't get. It's, it's like, how much evidence do you need in order to come on board with this? And our, our tribalism, the sense of kind of political allegiance is overwhelming our critical thinking to a point that, like, you know, voters are not to be trusted anymore. It's a sad state of affairs. And, it, 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 you know, what you said caused me to think about older people. I've noticed that the most aged among us, the elderly, then the people I see who are the most distressed about the changes that they're seeing in climate, they have been you know, living in a place for a long time. They've never seen what they've seen. They've been there for 80 years. And, yeah. now, and now their world is different. And so it's very easy for them to recognize that there's a problem and that it needs to be addressed. It's kind of like all the folks in the middle you know, don't really seem to have an impetus for moving this forward. It just doesn't really feel that important, does it? I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great for President Biden to get up on a stage every week and say, hey, what are we doing about climate? Here's what we're doing about climate this week. Here's what we do for climate this week. 
because it has to be elevated to the front of our agenda if we are to survive, ultimately. But he's in a difficult position, isn't he? Because he's trying to protect the United States from fascism at the moment. Like, that's his priorities. Like, he has to win in 2024. Otherwise, the Republicans are going to basically burn down the entire system and, and, and build it in their image. So so he is almost having to put climate change on the back burner for a year and two months whilst he wins this election. And that means not talking about climate change too much because he might lose some undecided voters who currently aren't sure whether or not climate change is a thing or not. It's, it's a very tricky position to be in. Because I'm sure that he wants to do more, but I really do feel like his hands are tied because Donald Trump has created this this kind of fascist movement that that Biden is solely responsible for preventing. That is the situation that we are in that does feel like an accurate read. Um, I do think that I do not think that it's accurate to say that the Biden administration has been placed on their heels. I think they have been really brilliant at continuing to move forward despite the chaos on the right and the attempts on the right to create a distraction every single day. I think Including an impeachment of the president. Nothing is too far. There is no there is no basis too flimsy. There is no low to which they will not sink. And so there was a decision made, obviously, at an early stage of the administration to simply not engage in these kinds of politics. And I think, yeah. you know, it does it does keep the, the Democratic Party on a on a respectful footing, on the footing that maintains that decorum that we were talking about, which has been completely lost. I think the the greater the decorum that is maintained by the Democratic Party, the greater the divide is illustrated, right? The more different these two become. And so it becomes an even clearer kind of choice for voters, right? It's But the timing at the moment is terrible, isn't it? Not just the climate crisis. You've also got auto workers striking, which Biden is siding with, but he can't side with them completely. They, you know, he was invited to the picket line and, and I, I don't think he's going to go necessarily. No. There's a government shutdown, which is just a week away, where... You know, again, Biden is going to have to take responsibility for some of that, even though it's caused by Republicans in Congress being in chaos. And unfortunately, these things, you know, from a from a regular federal workers perspective are down to Biden not being, you know, not doing enough to negotiate or whatever. You know, this is a terrible time to be the president. It's a terrible time to be in politics. And it's a terrible time to have to navigate a, 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 a planetary crisis when you've got these very frustrating and somewhat trivial issues going on at home. I agree. This is a very uh, difficult political environment. I think that the GOP has allied itself with Russia to the point where even when they aren't working with Russia, the tactics have now pervaded the party. And so, you know, a few weeks ago, we saw actually it hasn't been a few weeks. I think it might have been just a week ago uh, where a uh, Democratic candidate for office uh, was dragged through the media on the basis of her very legal and private and consensual sexual affairs. 
So I, I was really uh, not shocked to see this, but but realizing that we're only going to see more and more of that, right? This kind of very ugly, no holds barred um, October surprise every week. We're going to continue seeing that accelerating more and more. And what I want viewers to do is to be more critical about the information that you're hearing, to try to avoid creating a judgment right off the bat without spending more time understanding an issue and reading about, you know, what actually happened. Because there are so many instances in which a point of view or a narrative is created and pushed around. And we hear it once, it goes in through our ear and it stays in there. It doesn't go in here and go out here. It stays in here where it's kind of like, oh, Susanna Gibson's a horrible person. But what did she really do? Did she do something that that impacts her ability to govern? Did she do something that really makes you think she's a she's an unworthy person of her, you know, to be in that office or to um, make things better for citizens? I think bringing stuff up like that is very Russian tactic that allows people to be taken away from Susanna Gibson's policy positions and to be drawn towards things that sound bad, but aren't actually bad and have no real bearing on, you know, governance. And so I want people to think about that, you know, does this impact governance? Is this a situation or an issue that is going to be, you know, negative or positive for governance? And I want you to focus on that because all of this other kind of Russian tactic uh, disinformation, you know, Hunter Biden, like fake impeachment, like all of this kind of distractive crap is trying to take us away from Project 2025. That's what I think. Yeah. I want to talk about Project 2025 next. We're going to take another quick break and then do more with Jackie Singh. Have you heard of senescent cells, also known as zombie cells? These old, worn-out cells no longer serve a useful function for our health, wasting our energy and nutritional resources. These zombie cells tend to accumulate in our bodies as we age, leading to the aches, slow workout recoveries, and sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-age feeling. Our sponsor, Neurohacker, packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic, and you can take it just two days a month for fast, noticeable benefits for a much better aging process. Senolytic ingredients are science-backed to support our body's natural elimination of zombie cells. My body and energy levels feel about 15 years younger after just a couple of months of adding Qualia Senolytic to my diet. I love how easy it is to take. Having more physical and mental energy for my family and friends is such a win in how I show up for those I love. My productivity has doubled. I feel invigorated and enthusiastic again with the daily drive and enthusiasm to get things done. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. It's also backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, so you have almost three months to try Qualia Synalytic at no financial risk and decide for yourself. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Synalytic to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com weekend for up to 50% off Qualia Synalytic. 
And as a listener to The Weekend Show, use code WEEKEND at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com slash weekend to try Qualia Synalytic with code WEEKEND and start aging on your terms. An exhaustive manifesto for the next conservative U.S. president produced by Project 2025, an initiative led by the Hard Right Heritage Foundation, uses dehumanizing language about LGBTQ plus Americans, too extreme even for candidates currently seeking the Republican presidential nomination, um, according to a leading advocate. And, and this is something that I think we need to talk about and not promote, because a couple of people wrote to me and they said, well, you've spoken about Project 2025 and I didn't know anything about it, and now I do, and now it's like become part of the modern vernacular. When was this supposed to be like a secret plan? And my answer is no, this is not a secret plan. This is a published document, 900 pages, of what the uh, those who control the Republican lawmakers, and I'm talking about, in this case, the Heritage Foundation, and and other groups, you know, the, the, it's like a who's who of the far right on the, the list. The Koch brothers, the moneyed that, interests. That's right. Yes. Um, that have created a, a plan that they think people are going to get behind because they genuinely think that LGBTQ plus is bad and should be eradicated. They genuinely think that abortion is bad and should be eradicated and that black and brown people are not real Americans and should be eradicated. It is literally as explicit and as racist and bigoted as that. And it is now in print for everybody to see. And so to deny the existence of these views and to think that, oh, well, people don't think like that anymore is is just unacceptable. You know, we need to be very... Um, thoughtful about the the future, the reality that that the U.S. will look forward to if a Republican candidate wins. Um, how how do you feel uh, reading through this? I know we've kind of shared some documentation on this subject. How, initially, when you saw it, how did it make you feel? I'm shocked, um, but but also <clears throat> realizing that manifestos go along with everything we've talked about. They go along with, they go along with the belief that my beliefs are more important than your beliefs and my beliefs supersede your beliefs. And I will organize with other humans in order to impose those beliefs upon you by force and with violence if necessary. I think that's really what we're talking about. Um, This document is, is a manifesto that very clearly spells out a vision for America. It is a vision for America that is everything you said. It's racist. It's sexist. It's misogynist. It's anti-LGBT. Um, they they want to outlaw pornography in the United States. I thought that was a really um, kind of interesting point here. But what they're doing is promoting a very clear picture that was developed in concert with many of their allies that defines what they want America to look like. And their goal is to attract like-minded people who will sign up and be ready for a role in the next Trump administration. So, you know, looking at what some of the some of the pillars um, of this manifesto are, you know, pillar one, they have a what they call a consensus view of how major federal agencies must be governed. 
But realistically, what they're talking about is the dismantling of the majority of federal agencies and what they refer to as the administrative state. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about a um, an organization that has had a that has been a powerful force in American politics since the Reagan era. Uh, we're talking about an organization that played a massive role in staffing the Trump administration with, uh, frankly, unqualified and nasty people. And um, I think I think this document shows a level of strategic planning that every progressive um, or even centrist American should be deeply concerned about because it spells a level of like strategic planning that is not being demonstrated on the Democratic side. Right. There isn't a Democratic manifesto that I'm aware of today that says this is what the party is and this is where we're going. Right. Well, it's, they, it's impossible to do that because it's it's nuanced. But I think the difference between the two is that the Project 2025 and this kind of Republican plan for a dystopian future lacks all humanity. It, it, does. it takes humanity out of the equation. And it is just about rebuilding the U.S. in the image of a of a white Christian extremist view. And, you know, Poll it is after a Christian, poll is done. It is a Christian nationalist document. I think it's really it's a, it's important a, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's really important that we, you know, that we understand that this is Christian nationalism, that the the push uh, around abortion in the United States is a Christian nationalist movement, that, you know, Michael Flynn, when he uh, goes around doing his Reawaken America tour, that is a Christian nationalist movement. Yeah. And, and this is what people refer to when they talk about Christofascism. There yeah. is a... There's a there's a lack of terminology in the United States to describe what we're seeing and what this type of extremism really is. And MAGA doesn't describe it. MAGA doesn't really say everything. It doesn't really explain what it's, the it's a convenient acronym, actually, isn't it, MAGA? Because it kind of it gets is. allows people to get on board. But no one, very few of the MAGA people are going to read the 900 pages that is written by 70 right. advocacy groups for Correct. the extreme right. And and Correct. and when you poll the nation as a whole, around 65 to 70% of the country are in support of a woman's right to choose. And and this is the problem, isn't it? That the 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 messaging does not match the reality and we will end up if we're not there already being governed by people that do not share the views of the nation. And that Correct. is where the fascism you know, it's it's how the, the Nazi party converted regular German people into Nazis themselves. They didn't think they were the bad guys. They thought they were the saviors. And, and you know, people have short memories for history, don't they? In America, we do not have a memory of World War II any longer. It's like our World War II veterans passed away. The last of our World War I veterans passed away. And we just seem to have lost a sense of what things are and what American values are again. You know, when I bring up the term Nazi in, in present day America, people have a very profound reaction to that, you know, um, when they're opposed to someone being labeled a Nazi. They think they're not carrying a swastika on a flag and, you know, they, they're not wearing this uniform and they're not supporting a Hitler. And so, you know, it's, it's simply not the same thing. And to them, it, it beggars belief that someone in 2023 America would call someone else a Nazi. So I'm looking for some other terminology that we can use because Americans also are not very familiar with fascism. We've not had 
you know, uh, a Franco or, you know, we, we, we haven't had fascism here to really understand what that actually means. Well, we we have, but he's a reality TV show host who, like, is a plays it for comedy. Well, he's a fascist. The, he's, he's a fascist. A, he is a fascist. Oh, we haven't had fascism. We haven't had fascism. Right. Fascism has not been the policy of the United States. Right. Right. That that would significantly change if you know America uh, becomes aligned with this vision. Right. But this is it is it years. not if the Supreme Court overturned Roe? Is that not a form of fascism packing the court with extremist views that don't represent the country because i think it's very interesting to argue that actually fascism is here already mm. and that we are you know in america because of the exceptionalism we are too frightened to admit it to admit that the experiment has failed to admit that democracy does not exist anymore because the you know the, the voting system has been rubbished so much by a former president that that this is what it looks like to to be in a country that is fascist. And there are fascist Nazi rallies going on in Florida that the governor won't condemn. I mean, you know, people covered in swastikas doing, you know, the doing all the moves. And, and yet it's like just another day in Florida. You know, this is this is a problem, isn't it? And it's the same with climate change. It's like you can say we're not there yet or you can open your eyes and say, we we already arrived. Mm. I I can't say that um, our voting system is has been rubbished. Really, I mean it's been it's been um, abused and it's been verbally tarnished. But the integrity of that system has been proven to be intact. Right, our democracy is intact, but what we have is a powerful insurgency that grows by the day. Right. And I want to use the word insurgency because I'm an Iraq veteran. I was in the army in Iraq, you know, 2003. And the last year that I spent there was like 2011. So some I've spent some portion of every year in Iraq from 2003 to 2011, except for 2006. So I am very familiar with um, insurgencies, with um, you know ex- ex- terrorism, with extremism, religious extremism. And it's bizarre for me to watch America somehow go towards that path while ignoring um, the very obvious signs that the people who want to be in charge only want to be in charge because it feels good for them and not because it feels good for them to do good things for the American people, right? We're choosing people who have very different motivations, for the act of governance that don't align with anything that we want. And so I, I, again, would want to think about how to bring regular Americans back to policy conversations that aren't, that don't require reading a 50 page document or a hundred page document, because as you said, people will not read it. They will skim through the beginning and understand what it's about and pledge their allegiance or not. The goal of these wedge issues is to cause people to say, I'm in this camp or that camp. And the intent of the GOP between now and the next election will be to slam as many of these wedge issues as possible so that they can find that one thing that's going to get you to vote for Donald Trump. Right. Because he uh, because he represents the kind of anti-establishment, which is, of course, a red herring. But but people seem to think that that is what he offers. I'm very interested in because of my. You know, the first 40 years of my life I spent in in Europe, in in the UK and traveling all around Europe and experiencing 
other cultures and political systems. I spent a lot of time in Norway, places where they just do it completely differently. And what I learned is that the rest of the world is liberal. It is progressive. And that I have come to learn is normal, right? So you have normal and then you have the right, right, which is <laughs> extreme. Because the you know telling people how to practice their religious beliefs and what religion they should be is not normal. Telling women that they have to keep a a, a baby even if it's you know not going to survive full term or if there is health issues or if that they're not able to provide for or that child or if they child, simply don't want it. They simply don't want it is not normal. These types of, and it's invariably white men that are making these decisions and telling yes. them what they can and can't do. And it's the same with not giving a, a, a decent education to people. You know, the state not offering a quality education that is f well-rounded, where you educate people about all subjects, including minority groups, and you don't whitewash the history of slavery and all of these things. You know, that is extreme. It is not normal. And then there was this story last week about the diary of Anne Frank. There is a sequence in it where, in, in the illustrated version, where she talks about puberty and because in discussing and writing about puberty, she talked about genitalia, then that book became suddenly explicit. And But actually, that was just cover for the fact that they didn't want to teach about a Jewish girl trying to escape the Nazis. And so we are now living in this dystopian world where the far right brand the left radical, radical leftists, there's no, in my experience, traveling around the world, there is no such thing as radical leftists. To be normal and progressive and liberal is to be normal. It is not to be extreme. And, and, and this is the thing, and this is why the U.S. is in danger of being left so far behind the rest of the world. Because they, you know, half of Americans don't have a passport. They're not traveling. They're not getting the influence from elsewhere and seeing how the rest of the world has moved on. And that is essential because, you know, winding the clock back on row, 50 years, these things don't get kind of fixed easily. You know, it, it would take a miracle for the, for the Supreme Court lineup to change enough for that to get, you know, recodified. So this is my greatest fear is that you know with climate denial again not happening in other countries mm. at the rate that it is here and and fox the tv you know news slash entertainment channel claiming that it's just the summer when it's extreme weather that all of this stuff contributes to the to the collapse of of civility in the united states <sighs> I'm that's, sorry, that was a heavy. lot. Yes, that, that was a lot. That's, it's heavy. It's heavy. Maybe in the U.S. we are not accustomed to having doomsday conversations. You know, I mean, and, and I will admit that because I had them all the time in England, but I wanted to move to the U.S. because I was fed up of having doomsday conversations because I thought the U.K. was bad enough with Brexit and racism and knife crime and the stuff that we were dealing with there. So, you know, let's move to the U.S. where it's like, it's all about the next Harrison Ford movie. You know, <laughs> that's what I, I, I wanted a break from all of that. But now I recognize that here these doomsday conversations are, are not in vogue. 
because that very positive energy that I love about the US almost prevents us from talking explicitly about the kind of end of civilization being now rather than in a thousand years' time. I think it's a reflection of uh, a sense of futility. Um, I think that also is a reflection of the disempowerment that the average citizen feels with regard to their democracy and what they are able to affect individually. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when we uh, hear about millennials being criticized for not buying a house when the time was right, they're told that they order too many Starbucks or, you know, avocado toasts, right? Mm -hmm. So the tendency, I think, is to think to yourself, and we're seeing this reflected a lot on social media where many people are lying flat. Um, there's an entire subreddit called anti-work where people talk about simply not wanting to work and feeling like they're hamsters on a wheel yeah. that, that, that wheel is not providing for them. It's not providing the promise of America, that pursuit of happiness that we were, that we were sold, right? This kind of very comfortable middle-class lifestyle that we, told that we can have if we simply work hard yeah. and we do what we're supposed to all of that is well, the, the american dream is 70 or 80 years old now i mean we can't you know, afford way... anything we can't right. afford the american dream yeah and we have republicans who are telling us that the way to afford the american dream is to stop putting money into the government it, it's it's crazy you know and you're right that progressivism is um defined as moving forward Right. And when we think about reactionaries, right, the GOP, um, we're, we're talking about people who want things to go back to the way that they were. And they are rolling back child labor laws so that children can work again. And, you know, I was reading an article about a 15 year old who came from Guatemala to the U.S. whose arm was shredded in a meat meatpacking plant in an incident there. How could it be that in America, right, it's a very confusing situation for me as an American, as a you know, 30-something American, how could it be that we have children working in a meatpacking plant? It just doesn't make sense. When I think about what era that was, when I think back throughout history, I can imagine the faces of children covered in coal from the 1920s. Yeah. They were all huddled together in, in, in wearing rags, yeah. and poor. And and th but they didn't live, their mortality was such that they did not live into their late 20s. Because their their lungs were wrecked, you know. I mean, they were this, used and abused. They used were used and abused, and abused. for their but, labor. You know, I have a. I'm an advocate for UBI, universal basic income. I don't actually believe that in this day and age, with AI and automation and all of the various changes to industry, I don't believe that we should be working the way we were trained for in the industrial revolution, and, and universal basic income is simply based on the fact that you can be paid to live. There is enough money in the system, and the very wealthy, if they pay their fair share, can afford to pay salaries for everybody just to be part of society, to contribute, to do more community-based things, social things, voluntary roles. You buy things, therefore you're contributing to the economy. Your taxation is done in a different way, you know, through your purchases. Universal basic in income has actually been tested in California, and it works in other countries in the world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not welfare. It's you are paid to be part of society. And I, I think that the U.S. is so far, or certainly the U.S. as a whole, maybe California might do it, but 
that the U.S. is so far from having these conversations about changing the system and paying people to just live. And it's such a shame because, you know, there are people in their 50s and 60s who are still capable of working and they have been effectively aged out of, of, of the market because they lack the training to do mm. what the type of jobs that exist now. Which, which will be a growing, a growing, yeah. growing, growing problem with the advent yeah. of AI, especially. That's right. I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you, Anthony. I think that everywhere we have uh, seen studies on UBI, you know, these experiments work. Universal basic income works. If you receive money every month that helps you to live, you will live better. This is a very, very simple calculus, but it has been corrupted by people who are the same ones who think that you shouldn't give uh, an unhoused person outside on the street $5 because you know what? They'll just buy drugs with it. So I'm definitely not doing that. Right. I think there is an argument to be made for that, but I also think that the government has a responsibility towards all of us citizens that it is not keeping up with the quality of life in the United States is continually trending downwards as experienced by the citizens of the United States. And so it, Irregardless, irrespective of the of the advances made by the Democratic Party and the incredible successes of of Build Back Better and of the um, Inflation Reduction Act, I think we've seen that UBI works because child poverty was cut to such a degree in the United States when we gave parents money during the pandemic that the experiment was very clearly proven to work and to lift entire classes of people out of very precarious situations. And this is incredibly important for people who have children because the cost of childcare in America has gotten to the point where women can't work. Women aren't able to make more money and, you know, than what they have to pay in childcare, which is a situation that even I have been affected uh, by because um, in New York City, the costs for childcare are incredibly high, right? Imagine yeah. spending $2,400 a month to send both of your children to daycare so that yeah. you can work another job. No, I did the right? same. I, I, I looked after my, my uh, daughter for the first few years because it was more cost effective than getting someone in to do it. Mm. Um, finally, I want to talk about, you know, you're an expert in cybersecurity. Anybody who wanted to go to Las Vegas for, you know, <laughs> Gambling for their for fun would have uh, found a or been faced with a big problem. This is after MGM Resorts brought to an end a ten day computer shutdown, prompted by efforts to shield from a cyber attack, including hotel reservations, credit card processing. I mean, the whole thing was down. They finally got back online uh, just a, a few days ago, and then rival casino casino owner Caesars they also disclosed to federal regulators last week, that it was hit by a cyber attack on the 7th of September, saying that its casino and online operations were not disrupted, but it could not guarantee that personal information about tens of millions of customers, including driver's licenses and social security numbers of loyalty rewards members, had not been compromised. And so they paid a $15 million ransom, which was half what was asked for, uh, sought by a group called Scattered Spider for a promise to secure the data. I mean, this is terrifying, Jackie, because, you know, we used to look at foreign adversaries as being the enemy. Now these homegrown terrorism comes not just in the form of lone wolves with firearms, but of hackers who can get into these types of systems where p- 
personal data, which is required when booking a hotel room or wanting to gamble to show your ID, or this information is recorded, you're basically giving away all of your personal information because all you wanted to do was try and win a few dollars on a slot machine. Oh, the casinos love to know everything about you. I mean, ideally, yeah. their role as a casino is to understand when you walk in through that front door exactly who you are. Right. Are you a whale? Have you spent with us before? Um, casinos have been using facial recognition a lot longer than many other businesses and have a very uh, have a very good reputation for security. Right. And so I think this hack kind of underscores uh, the difficulty of securing systems against you know, nation state level actors, even though these at this in this instance, these are not nation state level actors. I mean, these are assumed to be, uh, you know, a gang of young men from the UK and the US age 19 to 22. Right. You know how they did it was so clever. They went on LinkedIn and they found the guy who was in charge of the systems and they got information about him. And then they phoned up the the department that was the IT department pretending to be him and managed to get information, passwords and stuff to get into the system. I mean, it's so simple. Are you surprised by this? Well, to me, it's like a kind of Ocean's Eleven movie <laughs> scenario, isn't it? You know, like that. It, it, it's, it's the kind of stuff you would think would only be written in a movie script. And yet... I mean- I'm entirely unsurprised by this. Really? The, the movie scripts are based on reality. You know, okay. I, speaking of Vegas, right? Every year uh, there is a conference called DEFCON that uh, information security professionals, many of them view as a, as a uh, pilgrimage that they must attend at some point in their lives. Right. And there is a competition that occurs every year at this conference um, that relates to social engineering. Social engineering is a term that cybersecurity professionals use to uh, describe fooling someone. To, you know, lie to someone in such a way that, um, you know, pretexting, by the way, there is even a different terminology for lying that is called pretexting to construct a really good story that causes that individual to give you some information. And oftentimes companies are hacked at the at the at the first level, at the top level by somebody at the help desk, maybe resetting a password for someone and they didn't verify who that person was. Right. These are very low skill attacks that don't require a high level of resourcing, but they do require, uh, you know, an individual to call around and to speak with different people and to get a sense of how the organization works, right. To perform a lot of reconnaissance. Um, so it's, it's actually surprising for me to hear that these are kids because they, they stole $15 million from Caesars, right. A week before (laughs) MGM was hacked, uh, Caesars actually was hacked and they didn't admit to it until about a week after MGM was hacked. Yeah. And so they come out and they say, yeah, we had the same problem with these same actors. Um, we paid them. Do you know what's interesting that to kind of bring this conversation full circle is the way that these hackers did this was by utilizing a, a method that people don't really do anymore. And that is actually talking to someone, right? Actually kind of, communicating in a humane and civilized way. Oh, hi, there's a problem with this on the phone. (laughs) Could you reset the password just quickly? I'm so-and-so. Like, we don't do that anymore because, as we were saying earlier, we are now all online looking at Insta Reels. And so the idea of actually having kind of human interplay where you are asking someone to trust you, I think maybe people have forgotten what that is like to such an extent that that has now created a vulnerability 
in, in human contact and in society, that when you do go and use that, that is actually a weaker area than doing it via email or instant message or... Oh, absolutely. You know, a, a it absolutely way. is. It absolutely is, Anthony. It's so, it's so interesting. Okay, listen, we have to finish, but I'm so thrilled for your expertise on no, this subject and, and everything we've talked about tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again. Jackie Singh, thank you for joining The Weekend Show. I'm so appreciative, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Anthony Davis. Don't forget to support me and independent journalism at patreon.com slash five minute news. Download my daily five minute news podcast drops every morning and join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the five minute news weekend show with Midas Touch. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.